I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash NI. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup in association with OpenReach with me, Gav. And this week are Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McKendry. Hello. Ulster are back in action on Saturday after an almost month-long break with a trip to Ospreys. We'll look ahead to that one and the second half of the province's season. But first, we've got a Six Nations victory to reflect on. And this week, an altogether more satisfying one. 24-14 over Wales. Be surprised, Jonathan, with just how routine it all seemed. This time last week, we were saying Ireland would probably do well to win it. I don't know if routine is the word that I would use. I think if you look at that moment after Joss van der Flair's score with the Hadley Park disallowed try and then Ireland exiting well, having won the penalty, like that for me was the key moment in the game. But you know, that's almost three quarters into the game, and the length of a fingertip probably mm-hmm. is the difference between it being a five-point game. And a twelve-point game where Ireland went on to secure the bonus point. So I don't think it, you know. I wouldn't use the word routine in any way. I was surprised that I completely out of context, really, and completely out of sync with anything that we've seen over the past really fourteen months. They produced what was uh, certainly their best performance since twenty eighteen. What was it that was different about it compared to this to the Scotland game a week before? I think just an extra week of having that consistency in training you know that that little bit more fluidity I think being able just to get their systems in place get those patterns going and I think Henshaw coming in, into the back line I think really helped the attacking structure as well but I, I just think Ireland not not bought in but we're, we're just that little bit more cohesive with Andy Farrell's game plan and I think that's what uh, what did it for them and I think also maybe a, a sense of knowing you know Wales coming off that big win over Italy, they knew what Wales were going to bring in terms of an attacking intensity, in terms of a, a real step up from Scotland. That sort of forced Ireland to raise their game a bit, and I think that sort of translated then into a, a much better performance on the pitch than against Scotland. Well, yeah, there's a lot of talk this week, or seems to be a lot of talk about how the team are evolving. What sort of trajectory can we put on this now? Probably an interesting one to look at because you're looking for signs of, I suppose, Andy Farrell's imprint on the team, but. In addition to that, Mike Katz' input on the team, I think what we've seen is certainly a greater willingness to counter-attack. I think what we're also seeing is a different attacking shape and how they're looking to create space. And that's why, as Adam said, Robbie Henshaw did so well, because mm-hmm. by creating the space through his hard carries in the middle right down uh, Tompkins' channel, it allowed Ireland to get the ball wide. But it's also worth pointing out that all four of their tries came off set-piece. Mm-hmm which would have been what we really readily associate with the Joe Schmidt era of just how good Ireland were attacking off set piece. They all originated within the 22 as well. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like they were putting together big flowing moves from far out. Whereas last week, the line-out went well, but they got no purchase off their mall whatsoever against Scotland, and the scrum struggled. This week, they got them all going. You saw with the uh, Van der Flyer score, clever little line-out move, and the scrum went far better as well. So... As much as you're talking about evolving, it was almost a back-to-the-future type performance, if you like, because it was a very Joe Schmidt 2018 style Irish performance. And then, again, you know, you talk about who played well. 
Henshaw coming back in had lost his place initially and someone who was so key under um, Joe Schmidt Stander was man of the match as he was the week before again somebody who was seen as a real sort of Joe Schmidt player Peter O'Mahony even Keith Earls when he came on somebody who had lost his place at the very start of this um, Six Nations uh, admittedly having carried an injury but all these players that look like they were on the way out are the ones that are playing well so it's a really interesting discussion when you talk about you know just to use your word again evolving because Ireland are very keen to move forward but this was very much uh, performance that we would have expected to see from them a year and a half ago I think it's possibly a case of that then as well you know the guys don't want to be left behind in the Joe Schmidt era you look at Peter O'Mahony who was so crucial to what Joe Schmidt did he doesn't want to be part of that group that is sort of left behind in the past to be consigned to another World Cup failure you know they want minute it looks like two players really. exactly because, you know Ron mm-hmm. Carney's out and Rory Bass is retired yeah those are the real changes so far yeah but having this continuity of guys coming in saying we want to be part of the Andy Farrell era not to be left in the Joe Schmidt era and I think that's one of the key things you know Jordan Larmer coming in replacing Rob Carney gives you that more of an attacking threat from 15 that Mike Cat is trying to play with that willingness to counter attack that Johnny was talking about but if you look at guys like Henshaw who lost his place I'm basically just repeating what Johnny said here Henshaw who lost his place Stander who lost his place Omani who lost his place but there's that fight within them to get back in the team and I think that's crucial Stuart Lancaster gave a great quote in the Leinster uh, media this week saying you competition kills complacency so whenever you've got those guys who are still battling to get in the team whether people think they should be in the team or not you're always going to have that that ability to rotate guys if you feel someone's not in form or someone's not pulling their weight within the squad you can always bring guys in and that's where you're going to get your consistent performances I think Ireland have found that at the start of the Six Nations which is something that Andy Farrell will probably be hammering home to them that we need you to keep this up because that's how we're going to get that consistency as a team going forward we're probably unlikely to see new Francis right reported the, or appointed the wrong Englishman for another week or two at least anyway I think it's one of the things that I wrote in my live report was that it had bought Andy Farrell time this performance and this victory mm-hmm. because it was um, far different in complexion to the Scotland victory like I saw Andrew Conway coming out did a sponsors gig he was doing yesterday saying that you know you would have thought Ireland lost the Scotland game because of the reaction and you would think now that Ireland are um, maybe even favourites for the tournament or favourites at least for a triple crown given their reaction to this game and the truth is definitely somewhere in the middle mm. as it yeah. so often is where do you think this realistically does leave Ireland's hope of you has it changed your views on their chances of success well you've still got to frame this in they still have to go to Twickenham and they still have to go to the Stade de France which are <laughs> undoubtedly well, it's, well they've still got their two toughest games to come yeah and you can sit here and say that Ireland are on the right trajectory and everything you want but they've played Scotland who we all know love to shoot themselves in the foot more than any other national team in the world and look, the Wales game was a good result let's not take that away from them you know to play the way they did and put Wales away relatively comfortably they had their moments where they were a bit worried but it was relatively comfortable that's a good result and you've got, you've got to chalk that up to... Or you've got to give them credit for that. But bear in mind, you've got France, who are 
looking like a better side than they have in previous years. There's a lot of excitement about that squad and they'll prove a real test. And of course going to England where you still have the scars of last year's warm-up game to overcome. You've still got a massive pack to mm. play. <clears throat> They've given themselves a really good chance. They've got that momentum behind them now. They've got a bit of, um, a bit of something behind them. But I, I still don't think they're you know, going into these final three mm-hmm. games any better off than what their chances yeah. were before uh, before the uh, before the first two games. Eight minutes just for John Cooney. It was a bit like uh, a step back to the last year for him. Why was, he, why was he only given so little time? Well, I think you have to look at substitutions as a fluid entity, and that's something that I've spoken about before. You don't make substitutions on 50 minutes or 55 minutes or 60 minutes because you plan to. Conor Murray was playing really, really well. He's somebody that we left out when we were talking about um, players that had come back into it. Um, He obviously never lost his place, but as he alluded to himself, there was no way to avoid the uh, speculation that he was going to. Mm -hmm. And in a way that I didn't think he did against um, Scotland, I thought he really rose to it against Wales and really um, commanded the game um, managed the game and at that stage I don't think it would have been sensible to bring him off because he was playing so mm. well Fair fair enough hard to argue um, Rob Herring I'll mention for him again if we're, we keep saying that uh, it's maybe going to be a short stint for him um, in Ireland's starting spot but he's certainly enjoying it He's doing everything he can to keep it and all credit to him he's had to sit behind Rory Best both at provincial and international level for so long and now he's actually getting his chance to shine he's taking it and I know there's so many people want Ronan Kelleher to go straight into that Ireland team because he's been so good for Leinster and it's uh, it's actually very hard to argue that you know his, his form wouldn't deserve that but Herring I think continues to be even though he stepped up into the starting role for Ulster and now for Ireland I think Herring continues to be one of the most understated and underrated players in Irish rugby. I think his work rate is excellent. I think his breakdown work is very underrated. And the fact is, he gets the job done for you. You know, you very rarely come away from a game thinking to yourself, Rob Herring has had a bad game. And we, we saw that at the weekend. He, I thought he was one of Ireland's better performers in the pack. Mm-hmm. Um just with the amount of work rate he gets done you can see him when he's coming off he's always gassed but that's because he gives everything for the for the shirt and certainly I think if he I don't think he will be but if he was dropped at this point I think it would be completely unjustified because I think he's definitely been the form man in the number two jersey Mm -hmm. another game Jonathan uh, another week shamefully sadly for the podcast where we will not have an update on where Jacob Stockdale is on the all time scoring charts for Ireland because it's now six games for Ireland without a try one in eight for Ulster this season why if you'd, if you'd said that last year or two years ago that he would be on this run you would have found it hard to believe I just don't think the ball's really been coming his way again we didn't see it come his way like and at that stage you really have to go looking for work and you're looking I suppose to influence the game in a different way it's going to be interesting to see how things progress over the next couple of weeks because um, as big a fan as I've been of Andrew Conway I think that was his best game for Ireland Mm -hmm. Jordan Larmer is somebody that I think they're probably looking to build an awful lot of their attacking structures around 
certainly in terms of launching plays. Mm-hmm. And Keith Earls played really well off the bench. So again, you've got, admittedly in the centre, again, you've got four four into three, it looks like, if Keith Earls does well here. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be an interesting selection call, I think, moving forward. But I think very similarly into the way that you kind of want to build your lock pairing around Ryan and Henderson as the two younger guys uh, in the squad and in the lock pairing. I think if you look at that back three of Stockdale, Larmer and Conway, Conway's not as young as we th- everyone thinks yeah, he is. And we've, yeah, we've spoken about that before. But if you're trying to build, sort of looking ahead to the World Cup, very, very far mm-hmm. off, but if you're sort of looking towards then, I think you kind of want to start building that back three and get that bit of consistency around them. You know, have them playing together, have them always, you know, learning the calls together. If one of them, you know, loses form, whether it be Stockdale, whether it be Larmer or Conway, you know, okay, then, you know, swap them out. As we talked about, competition kills complacency, you know, always have guys on their toes. But I think if you're wanting to try and build something consistent and stable in that back three, I think those three are the guys you've got to try and go towards mm-hmm. on a regular basis, on a consistent basis. And I don't think Stockdale's actually been playing that badly. I think it's yeah. just, you know, teams know that he will be a big threat whenever he gets ball in hand, so they just mark him. They just mm-hmm. make sure that someone's always covering him. And that naturally makes it harder to score tries. I'd, and we've talked about this for Ulster, you know, just because he's not scoring tries doesn't mean he's not having a big a big impact on the game. He didn't score against Bath, but he comes up with that try-saving yeah. tackle that wins them the game. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily yet to justify dropping him. I think he ju- just because he's not getting on the score sheet doesn't mean he's not mm-hmm. actually having a big influence on what Ireland are trying mm. to do. And Saturday probably was one of those games in particular where he didn't really have a chance to score. No, I think if you look at the Scotland game, whenever he did get the ball in his hands, he made two really good breaks, but from at any stage on um, this Saturday. I, w- I would like to see him come into the midfield a bit more. Like, uh, mm. actually, like maybe sitting in the outside centre channel or something like that, just to try and get a few more carries and maybe catch a, a defence off guard at some point. That's me being very harsh on him, you know. Mm. That's me just trying to see if there's anything that could kind of spark him getting over the line a bit more. Mm-hmm. The other two of the back three you did mention there, but Andrew Conway in particular, as John had said, um, probably is best game for Ireland on a 28, maybe a little bit like John Cooney, although not to the same extent but he's turned into a late bloomer I think he's been very good for the last couple of seasons but you know Stockdale has been in so well and Earl has been one of Ireland's best players mm-hmm. so you know that's two years ago yeah uh, mm-hmm. sorry over the last two years and I mean Conway got a shot under Joe Schmidt like Schmidt realised that he was going well and brought him into the squad and sort of started to build him up and you could make the argument he was maybe a little bit unfortunate not to play a bit more at the World I Cup. Think he was, you can make the argument he was hugely unfortunate. Yeah. Um, That's another sign that Ireland are moving into this new era where you know you look at how well Conway's playing, you got to give him shots, you got to give him game time because he's playing so well and if that's at the expense of Earls then that's how it has to be and I really just I, I really like the aerial presence he brings you. I think mm. Conway's really solid under the high ball and whenever you've got Jordan Larmer who's not maybe the biggest 15 in the world if you want to maybe Larmer's having a bad day under the high ball you just switch Conway to fullback and you have that sort of more stability at the back 
you maybe lose more of the counter-attacking skill that Larmer brings you, but you've at least got that solidity. And there's just a nice mix between the three of them. You know, Larmer, that really elusive stepper, Stockdale, the more physical player, and Conway somewhere sort of in between the two. And uh, I think that's a really nice blend in that back three, and Conway just sort of bridges that gap between Stockdale and Larmer. Mm -hmm. And if you're a fan of kicks up the touchline, and he isn't... (laughs) Then Conway's one uh, up the right in that game was probably the highlight. Johnny Sexton, of course, a couple of games in as captain, you had a few interesting thoughts in yesterday's paper, possibly, about his sort of progression and easing himself into the role. Yeah, I thought there was lots of interesting parts of that game in terms of his captaincy, and I thought he spoke really, really interestingly last Thursday. Um, Sexton's one of these players that, I suppose, because there was so much on his plate, as you know, the linchpin of the team, if you like, and the Italian leader, the goal kicker. He didn't really have an awful lot of media during test weeks, really, mm-hmm. in the build-up. And now, as captain, he's obviously doing one a week. So on Thursday, he gave a really interesting press conference talking about how he's had to learn, I suppose, about his body language and his demeanour when talking to referees and how it's not so much what you're saying as how you're saying it and how it looks to the TV or how it looks to the fans in the ground or even how it looks to the referee and he used obviously the example of the Christmas game in Thomond two years ago when obviously there was an awful lot made about and you know to the point where people were talking about fractures in the Ireland camp because Mm -hmm. of how Mm -hmm. I suppose spicy this derby had been then you saw I suppose in that game there was still the points when he was like pushing Roman Pat maybe a bit too far but certainly in a more effective manner than I thought we had seen in the Scotland game where he wanted things to be checked that weren't checked and things Mm -hmm. like that. And it was something that Rory Best has spoken about before as well, about how it's, no matter when you become Ireland captain, it's something that you have to grow into Mm because being a provincial captain in a way doesn't prepare you for it, if that makes sense. And I just thought the way that he um, handled the game in terms of his own play, his dealings with the referee was a much more effective step than we've seen from him maybe in the past and it's funny just how almost how quickly you're learning and it, it was good to get that insight from him into the fact that you know this is what's been going on in his head throughout the week and even in past mm-hmm. weeks you know talking to Paul O'Connell and the likes of the likes of that about I suppose the responsibility of the role on the field. Forcing yeah. Wales back onto the try line for a five metre kick to touch was the pettiest thing I have ever <laughs> seen though. Yeah. Um he had, he had something else as well that obviously drew the ire of people on Twitter. Oh yeah, for the Wales try. Yeah, like asking wanted, to look at, yeah, look at the pass. Both, um, yeah. both passes checked, but I think he probably felt against Scotland that he didn't get his point across, or his point didn't come across maybe. And I think um, on Saturday, I think he will have come away from that feeling that when he had to get his point across, he did. Mm-hmm. Fair play. Our first listener question of the week is from Nathan McLennan who asked, with the Italy match serving as a prelude to the potentially championship-deciding French match, can we realistically expect to see any other fringe players making a contribution to this championship? I think there is a chance that you still see things rotated. The problem is, mm. it, it's all about when this Italy game falls, um, and it doesn't fall at a particularly opportune time for heavy rotation, because if you go Twickenham on the 23rd, Mm-hmm. and then you rotate for Italy then the people that are coming back in will be playing on the 14th of March having not played since the 23rd of February mm-hmm. so it's a long enough break ideally mm-hmm. you want the Italy game I suppose probably second 
mm-hmm. or even like in the isolated block in the middle where you can just take it as almost two two week championships so it's an interesting one but I would still expect to see some degree of rotation maybe even for those obviously depending on how Twickenham goes for some of those senior men maybe even on the bench you know you think back to even the own nine Grand Slam and you still had like you know four changes in the middle of that so you can do it without losing too much momentum I think Italy were a lot better on Sunday Mm-hmm. than they were the week before France obviously let them come back into the game a wee bit in a way that it was one of those you know if it was an NBA basketball game you would have seen the starters having to come back in because yeah. the game was over and then all of a sudden basically they were a line out all away from that game <laughs> being very much on the line again but I wonder if they can't understand Sean Edwards speaking French in a Welsh accent oh I would say they'll understand it this week <laughs> and that's almost not bad for France, I think, in a way, because they'll now have an angry Sean Edwards for a couple of weeks to sort of hammer, or rehammer yeah. home those points almost of what was so effective for the first sort of fifty minutes against England. They did have times when they looked good again. Um, on Sunday, it was just they went from having the game wrapped up to all of a sudden they were giving away so many penalties their discipline really deserted them. And France could really use with that authoritative figure to just sit them down and say you're not playing well or you you were playing well and then you just stop playing mm. and I think Sean Edwards is that guy for them but it's one of those ones where France have so much talent there it, it really just does need the coaching staff to be strict with them and just be really harsh with them that's a complete mm-hmm. tangent to what we were talking about but it's just a point I wanted to make yeah. but I, I, I completely agree with Johnny like I, th- I think you'll see a few guys like I think you'll see Callagher get a start I think Herring will probably get a get a game from the bench rather than starting and that'll mm-hmm. probably be Italy I'd like to think you'd see Cooney start against Italy I mean I, I think it would be really harsh on how he's played all season not to give him one start during the championship and you obviously look at the Italy game as that game that it'll probably happen in, they'll probably see a bit of rotation here and there but like and probably in the back row as well, like Sanders probably a player that just because he so physical and has all those carries and all those tackles that you can mm. maybe see if Doris is fit maybe Doris gets another start at 8 yeah. and they keep Omani at 6 maybe well, I, was yeah. thinking, I was thinking it would be good maybe to see Doris and Deegan in the same back row mm. for, for Ireland too much, though. You know, I think we'll see plenty of them in the same back row for Ireland yeah. I just wonder is it a bit too would that be too much rotation maybe I think 3, three or 4 is probably the optimum number mm. and th- those would be the 3 I suppose hooker mm. scrum half like there's nothing to say you couldn't see Cocoin start a game ahead of Healy yeah. as well and then have everybody really primed for that uh, test of the Stade de France well look we'll have plenty of time to talk about the team news on the week that actually that game actually comes around for now Ulster are back this Saturday at Ospreys so we've got four Ireland players released back into the panel O'Toole, McCluskey, McGrath and Burns uh, that's as well as Balakoon who was released back to Ulster a couple of weeks ago but before we talk about the players that Ulster do have uh, what about the man that they don't have, Will Addison, who uh, wasn't mentioned in that Ireland squad update, so he hasn't been released back to Ulster, given that he's the only player in that 23-man squad that Ireland have held on to that hasn't actually played yet. Probably not overly positive. What what can we read into that? Anything in terms of his injury? I'd probably read into it that it is positive, that he's going to be able to train, because otherwise he would be back here. Hmm. 
um, doing his rehab. I think he, mm. if he can train, then he's a great player to have in that sort of environment because if you only have well, 23 players... He's obviously not fit enough to play yet. Yeah, or wasn't fit enough to play last week. Mm-hmm. But the implication, I think, from that would be that he will be fit enough to play somewhere moving forward and certainly fit enough to train. Mm-hmm. And as I say, like in those environments where you're trying to sort of set up artificial game scenarios... You know, you can slot him in at any anywhere in the back line for training runs, um, because obviously you've only got twenty three players. It, they'll they'll not do a hell of a lot, I wouldn't think. Um, training wise, like we saw the one in Belfast um, last year. You yeah. know, it's a good opportunity, I suppose, to uh, allow fans in to see a bit of training and stuff. But it'll mainly be just to keep things ticking over, and then they'll be back at Abbotson the week after, mm-hmm. um, which is their, their new base for a full sort of. And a lengthy week as well, because obviously the game's on the Sunday. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a really good sign for Addison himself as well, that he's been retained in the 23-man squad, because whenever you're out for a bit, you're instinctively thinking, am I slipping down the pecking order mm. without having done anything wrong myself, simply mm-hmm. because he's not playing? But the fact that Farrell's kept him around, even though he hasn't been able to play, suggests that he's been training well whenever mm-hmm. he has gotten the chance, and that he's still considered one of the mm-hmm. top options in yeah. that back three. What do we know about other... Ulster injuries at the minute. It feels like that long ago since they played that I can't remember what way we are with the squad. Sam Carter, I think, is sort of the biggest one that we're we're thinking could be back this week. We'll do our usual caveat of we're recording this before the press conference, <laughs> yeah. so we might get some kind of an injury update mm-hmm. uh, during it. But Carter, Carter, if he returns on schedule, I think is either this week or next week. Um, I'm. I haven't heard anything to suggest he's behind schedule or anything like that, so um, he could be back this week, and I think Ulster would gladly have him, given that you know Henderson's away and they could do with just a bit of leadership in, in that pack. Um, I should have looked this up before we started. I, ca- I can't remember any other sort of... Marty Moore missed the last game, so he should be coming back, and you would expect. That'll be an interesting selection, one in terms of... O'Toole's been released by Ireland, who probably want him to get game time, but mm-hmm. Ulster, and I would say Ireland as well, probably want Marty Murray to get some game time, so it'll be an interesting one to see who gets the nod there. I think it's probably the same on both sides of the scrum, with Jack McGrath coming back and Eric Sullivan as well, but mm-hmm. I suppose what you're probably going to see, starting and benching at prop now, is, it can be the difference of you know five minutes after half-time, really, you know, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. I would say we'll see lengthy enough stints from all four of those guys. Mm-hmm. And you've got John Andrew and McBurney, I suppose, fighting it out to start at hooker. Carter, if he comes back in. If not, you've got Treadwell, so he didn't get banned for that uh, vicious vicious high tackle of his. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and O'Connor as well. Healthy dose of sarcasm there. Yeah. So I think you're still, you've still got a pretty competitive team out, I think, mm-hmm. this week, no matter what happens. And, you no, know, you wouldn't expect it to be overly competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Carter's going to be absolutely massive for Ulster whenever he, he does get back. Are you talking height or...? Well, yeah, just in, in every sense of the word. Yeah, look, I, I don't think Ulster have missed him as much as you would have thought they would have missed him. I think that sort of trio of Henderson, O'Connor and Treadwell have done very well. But I know Dan McFarlane really rates Carter in terms of that sort of doggedness he brings, mm-hmm. that kind of edge that he There's brings. A of, like a grunt and a bit of heft to the yeah. set piece, I think, as well. And, uh-huh. you know, you made the point there of, you know, it'd be massive to get him back, and it would, because especially for this period, like, 
let's be honest, the, the eyes of the watching world are not going to be on the Pro 14 over the next three weeks, but it's a huge stretch of games mm. for really Ulster's conference. Yeah, yeah if, if you look at how the conference is situated at the moment, Ulster have a 12-point gap between themselves Glasgow. and Glasgow yeah. in fourth. So if you're talking about just getting into the playoffs as a start, you know, they've got a very healthy position. Glasgow and Cheetahs both play Leinster in this yeah. three-game block. So if you can mm. win these three games with one of them being against Cheetahs, you're practically home in a boat, like, let's yeah. be honest, because yeah. you're going to be double-digit points clear mm-hmm. of everybody else. Yeah. Not even for third place, but for second place. And, and, the, di- and the difference that makes going down the stretch, you know, if, if you get into April and May and you're already assured of your spot or practically assured of your spot in second, mm. you know, you can then, you know, be very selective with players, you can be very selective with how you approach games. It just makes everything that little bit easier whenever you're coming down to the business end of the season and then you can start prioritizing, you know, okay, we've got Champions Cup quarter final here, we can mm. we can move players around here because we don't yeah. we, we are not desperate for wins like Ulster have been in previous seasons mm. where the only issue I suppose being that you've got Glasgow the week before which away, which is just the one fixture I suppose that you really wouldn't mm. want before the quarterfinal because that would maybe mm. open it back up for yeah. There's a nine-day gap between those games, which will be helpful. Yeah, but I think what I'll miss the most though is if they do keep this buffer and we don't get for like the last three weeks of the season to write that we've got three cup finals coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we might actually have a cup final though to look forward to. Right, let's not you get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> like they're, they're, Second obviously means that you still have to go away in the semi-final. Now mm-hmm. that the way that conference is, you could be away to any one of four teams, and yeah. you also know that it's not going to be Glasgow and not going to be Leinster, which I suppose would be the two teams that you would really want to avoid. But mm-hmm. you could end up if you know if I'd put money on an eye, you'd be going to Thoman Park against a monster side that have only had the Pro 14 to focus on for yeah. what at that stage will be five months alright didn't you bring it down so much so quickly there well they might you know yeah. they could beat Monster in Dillman Park but they haven't done since like 2014 <laughs> EPCR sent out their email for media accommodation for the Champions Cup final the other day and I was sitting there looking at it going hmm <laughs> <laughs> Ulster will fancy their chances though in all seriousness in these next three games like at Ospreys home to Cheetahs and away to Benetton well Ospreys are terrible Cheetahs are terrible. Yeah, they'll get a board, they'll get five points this weekend. <laughs> Cheetahs are terrible away, and then Benetton haven't been as good this season as they have been last season, certainly. And so, you're and you're playing them whenever they're missing all their Italian internationals as well. Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Benetton yeah. light almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I would say that you are looking at fourteen points, and then if you get fourteen points, assuming Leinster don't lose for the first time in forever then you've put a massive gap on the table between yourselves and everybody else. Somebody asked, would this be a game to put in a few academy players this weekend? And are we likely to see many sort of young guys given that opportunity? Well, this, this is what I, mean, I was... Is it Stuart Martin? Or is it more important to get senior players back up to speed after the big gap? Well, Every time you see Stuart Martin, I'm like, why is the Ulster comms manager <laughs> firing any questions <laughs> in the podcast? But no, it's, it's a different Stuart Martin. Well, for, first of all... I, I think Stuart's second point is right. I think there's a few senior guys that you want to get back up to speed. Ulster at this stage haven't played for three weeks, four weeks. Feels um, like six months. It does feel like six months. It's been a long time. So yeah, like you, you've got to get guys back up to speed because, as we've spoken about, like 
if you win these three games, and especially if you take a couple of bonus points from it as well, you set yourself up so well for that run-in at the end of the season. Um, so I think now is more important to get the points on the board, get yourself in the position to uh, you know, be in a very strong position at the end of the season. Then whenever you get to that stage, whenever you're already assured of your spot in the playoffs, then you can start bringing in academy guys. And especially if you're able to bring in academy guys later on in the season when you've got more of your senior players available, you know how much more will, just to, just to pull an example from my head, how much more will Jack Regan learn from playing alongside Ian Henderson than playing alongside uh, Alan O'Connor? You know, how much more will Stuart Murr learn playing alongside Stuart McCluskey in the centre than playing alongside... Angus Curtis, I know Angus Curtis is injured, but you know, there's always a risk of putting too many academy players in, and then whenever one of them makes a mistake in a game, they're looking around and they don't have that senior leadership figure to put their hand around their shoulder and say, it's okay, we go again. Mm -hmm. So I think you get the points on the board now, especially whenever you've got a massive fixture against the Cheetahs, who are your direct rivals for that second, third spot in the conference. And especially whenever you've got two very winnable games against the Ospreys and Benetton away. So for now, I think you prioritise getting the points on the board, get the senior players playing whenever you've got all these breaks, whenever you've got you know weeks off and all that. And then whenever you've actually got that buffer and you're able to play the guys without too many concerns that you might drop points or you might hinder their development by throwing them in too early, that's when you can rotate them in towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I'd give Allison a run, and I'd probably give Murr a game at some stage over the three. Okay, but if you're going to do that, it makes most sense to do it this week, surely, because it's the really, really a guaranteed win. Well, uh, yeah, probably give one, maybe even both of them a run this week, and then you could give the likes of Luke Marshall, who's played a lot of rugby, just that extra week. And then the thing with the back row is... If, the, if those four weeks just haven't been quite yeah. enough. <laughs> like, he's played an awful lot of rugby <laughs> this year, you know. So, I suppose when it comes to minutes and they're managing them at the end of the season, they're not going to be looking at... You know, they're not going to be like, oh, we had that four-week break in the middle, so play every game either side of that, you know. Yeah. And just with the back row, I think an extra back rower would make such a big difference because you can't keep running those same guys out again none of them are obviously with Ireland so while you you could run them out for these three weeks again it comes down to the end of the season just to have a little bit less um, miles miles on the clock I suppose like do you need Marcel Katsia at 8 probably not this week but you know you could also say that you could give guys like Greg Jones or Clive Ross even a game rather than Alisson but I think just there was so many positive strides made last season and then we've seen I suppose a continuation of that for the A side this year until they obviously came up against Leinster but and then even with the under 20s representation but we haven't really seen it aside from that Leinster game in the senior team so I think it would be good to see just one or two guys mm-hmm. getting the crack if, if they're going to make changes I, I don't necessarily agree with that I think Ulster are better off getting the points on the board now but I think if they're going to rotate guys in, I think you do. You bring in academy guys. I don't think you bring in guys like Clive Ross or guys like that who are sort of senior guys on the fringes. I think if you if you're gonna say give Marcel Kutsi a week off, 
you should bring in Azer Allison or something mm. like that. Yeah. You know, give them time. If it sounds like we're being a little bit disrespectful to Ospreys, we quite probably are. But at the same time, they've lost nine of their ten Pro 14 fixtures this season and have a points difference of minus 155. I think the thing that got me as well is they only scored 13 tries. And like four of them came in the same game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're, aver- just, they're averaging just over yeah. one try a game. Which, which isn't great. It's not good at all. Like, but the problems... At the Osprey, I, I think the the fact that Alan Wynne Jones openly came out and basically said this this is a mess says all you need to know about the Ospreys. Whenever your longest serving player and inspirational captain is coming out and saying, "Lads, what what's going on here?" I think that's all you need to know about the problems. And it's really it's really sad to see because the Ospreys, ever since I've been following rugby, have been. Uh, probably the standard bearers in Welsh rugby um, and then they've been overtaken by the Scarlets, they've now been overtaken by uh, Cardiff the <laughs> and, they've, and even the Dragons now and it's just so sad to see like all the problems they've had off the pitch it's now translated onto the pitch as well and you just if, if there was ever an argument for a team to just sit down and go look, we just got take a few years and completely rebuild everything back mm. up again I think it would be the Ospreys and you just you just hope they get it right well yeah. they obviously always weren't a team yeah. you know, this time last year yeah. you were talking about the merger but there's always a silver lining in that we're not an Ospreys podcast that's true that's true that's, I console myself with that every night a few listener questions to discuss a few of them have already answered Ian Frizzell uh, he was asking should we be expecting three wins from three in the next round of matches absolutely Ian we should uh, Steve McCormick an interesting one is Aaron Sexton getting much game time with anyone no he's got a hamstring injury um, so no then yes yeah, so he went in the sort of development squad part of the sevens then I think he picked up a hamstring injury from what I had heard he may well play for the under 20s at some stage in this they're keen okay. for him to get some game time mm-hmm. <laughs> as Stephen says game time somewhere um, throughout this sort of block but he needs to get over the injury first ok now well, we don't really know when that's going to be just as it's, it's a hamstring injury so it's, you know, it's one of those it's probably difficult to tell but a bit frustrating for him absolutely I think he would have uh, enjoyed a rattle at the uh, at the under 20s level this year you know and then mm-hmm. um, and especially the sevens as well, so he's limited in his game time. It was really good to see him in the sevens. Mm. See how he got on. Yeah. Well, look, we can just we'll just have to keep a little eye out then on the under twenties team news, and uh, hopefully we see his name appearing sooner rather than later. James Bradley points out that Ulster have the most bonus points in the Pro Fourteen this season. He wants to know what's the record. Assumingly, are Ulster on for any sort of bonus point record? The record we believe was set last season by Glasgow who got 17 bonus points in 21 games which is outrageous mm-hmm. and it's even more outrageous because 15 of them were try bonus points yeah. they didn't lose, they didn't lose yeah. a lot yeah. of games obviously so in, in 15 of their 21 games last season Glasgow got a try bonus point which is insane so I think Ulster are on 8 this year with 11 games to go so it's just 11 matches left. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a World Cup year. Everything's just completely thrown out of whack. It feels like we're still going to play in this season in September. Yeah. <laughs> so I think for Ulster, for Ulster to overtake that, they've that record. They've got to 
pretty much continue this sort of scoring run that they've been they were on before the break, um, which they they could do, but it seems unlikely. You know, given that <clears throat> given that they've got um, a few tough games away, you know, Benetton's going to be quite a tough game away. Uh, you still got Leinster to play. You've got a, a couple of games against Glasgow themselves. So I, I would imagine they're probably not going to break that record, but. Um, Eight league games after the Six Nations. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, Jonathan. Yeah. Strap yourself in. It'll be a long ride. Alistair McDuff always asking, "Is there any word on Sam Carter? So back potentially this week, or if not next week?" I, I would imagine he'll be back during this stretch of games at some we'll, point. We'll, uh, yeah, yeah. we'll tweet you in about an hour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in fact, that will be about a few hours ago whenever <laughs> yeah. you're listening to this. Um, Ireland under 20s then uh, got the win, bonus point win on Friday night. Um, did you watch it? I did, yeah. Um, Give us the uptake. What was it, five Ulster players on me? It was four starting and one on the bench, I Hayden think, because Hayden Hyde, Hyde uh, dropped out. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Bit of a bit of illness. So. What I have, Lewis Finley, Pride of St. Field, played well again. Tom Stewart, I thought really. Lewis Finley obviously got man on match, sorry, um, chosen by Donald Lennon. Tom Stewart is someone that I really thought uh, could have rivaled him for that. Um, yeah, so he played really, really well. As I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while has known just how high the Ulster hierarchy are on him. So it's been no surprise mm-hmm. to him do so well for the under twenties. Who else did we have? Ben Moxham had a decent game as well, having sort of come out of nowhere. Almost it felt like um, to start that game. Like he, he played one game for the A's recently um, against Leinster, and that was the first I'd actually ever heard of him. Like let alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let alone, you know, seen him. Yeah, that was a mysterious game that just appeared. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden he's named the Ireland under twenty squad, and then starts this mm-hmm. game. So um, definitely one to keep an eye on by the signs of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. a decent game. I thought he worked really hard and um, did well defensively. Probably didn't get as much uh, as much ball as Smith on the other wing. And then David McCann. He had said I thought it maybe been a little bit quiet in the first game. I thought played really well again here. So. Um, including one absolutely outrageous pass. Um, so yeah, I thought they all did rightly. Um, Connor Rankin obviously only came on very very late on, having come onto the bench late, so it was hard to get much of a read on him. We've seen him obviously for Campbell, um, playing very well in the Schools Cup over the past few years. Um, so it's been an encouraging under-20s championship for Ulster so far, probably especially for Lewis Finley, having, you know, we've watched the A team and it was Nathan Duke. He was starting, so I hadn't seen an awful lot of him. But he played really well in the first week and obviously um, man of the match in the second week. So that's going to be an encouraged one to watch, mm-hmm. just yeah. how that plays out with him and Doak. Because yeah. I think there was obviously some talk that they might um, utilise Doak as an out-half, so you wouldn't know. Yeah. One, of, one of the interesting things to keep an eye on next week is sort of the reports of how the under-20s have done training with the uh, senior team, because they're both down in Cork this week. and both training together so it's always interesting to hear you know who the senior coaches think impressed from the under 20s and how the under 20s themselves feel they went against the the senior guys because this is kind of a rare occasion for them to go up and mm-hmm. sort of mix with the senior guys and sort of get it get an experience of what it's like to actually be in a six nation mm-hmm. squad so I, th- I think that's something that'll be it'll be very interesting to look for sort of the end t- or tail end of this week and start of next mm-hmm. week yeah so Ireland women uh, also won their game 31-12 against Wales and Catherine Dean again started the only Ulster representation in that team the most Another of- absolute crack and try from Parsons as well just I know. Uh, two, round- two rounds in a row 
the most important, or sorry, the most impressive thing from this was the fact that they kept going in Storm Kiera. Like, it looked mm-hmm. absolutely horrendous down in Donnybrook. Um, but no, look, the the women are really on an upward curve at the moment. Absolutely. They're really playing uh, some nice stuff. Adam Griggs has spoken about how he just needed a lot of time uh, with them to sort of get his ideas across and get them used to the system that he wanted to play. And I think now that's really a it's really coming through and you're really seeing that because you know last week against uh, against Scotland you know they nearly threw it away and you almost thought this is just like you know previous years and nothing's changed but I think getting that win has really sort of sparked something within them to say okay we can actually win these games now and then you've seen that against Wales where they were actually very confident very controlled they play some really nice stuff and it's all just about building for them, you know, it's all just about getting into that right mindset especially whenever you've got the World Cup qualifiers uh, coming up I think it's September or so, sometime around then, so it's all just a building process for the women and results like this uh, and performances like this uh, are really going to help and it's great to see you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Ulster women starting to get involved in these squads as well, you know, you've got Claire McLaughlin, the squad friend of the mm-hmm. podcast you've got Neve Jones who was called up last mm-hmm. week as well yeah. so fantastic to see that the Ulster representation is growing too and hopefully that'll continue uh, as the season goes on mm-hmm. so a little note before we go about the Schools Cup um, I had written that down forgetting that I was the only one of the three of us who was actually yeah. at a Schools Cup match I was at Armagh to see them beating Campbell 34-6 absolutely annihilating Campbell 34-6 I would say because Armagh played into the wind in the first half and I, it was very very windy as you would expect in a storm and you're sort of thinking if they could go in within touching distance they would be delighted they went in 10 six up because Campbell didn't manage to score a try Armagh could barely kick it out of their own 22 mm. had to try and run it clear but Campbell still couldn't get past them so defensively they were very very impressive and then the flip side of that in the second half it was an opportunity to just let their backs run red and really they should have scored another couple of tries a couple of players maybe got a little bit selfish in the end didn't pass <laughs> and over the should have which whenever you're like 34-6 up as they were at the time yeah. is fair enough I mean at, the, at that point you get into that mindset of you know we've, we've got this game won let's try okay. a few things let's maybe score a try in front of our parents or something like mm-hmm. that but it's funny I spoke to Willie Falloon at the launch um, mm-hmm. and I was just asking him you know how, how he felt his side were going he said we're maybe not sort of in that top tier of the schools that you're thinking you're going to win it this year but we've got a very talented squad and we could certainly cause a shock and Whenever I saw the result, that was the kind of thing that I kind of thought that mm-hmm. they could pull off if uh, if that's what he was sort of describing them as. So yeah, I think no, that's, they'll, take, they'll take some beating. That's that that's a result that will make the other teams, you know, the likes mm-hmm. of Methody, Ballymena, Wallace, uh, RBAI. That'll make them take notice of uh, Armaz as, as a threat, and certainly, you know, especially in the in the schools cup, you know, where it's you know knockout all the way to the to the mm-hmm. final from here on out. Whoever shows up on the day and plays the conditions exactly. better, particularly mm-hmm. on Saturday, mm-hmm. it, can, like it can make a big difference. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how they do their way to uh, Ballymena in the quarterfinals, which will be um, a week and a half away now. So uh, apologies to anybody who was trying to access our live blog at Schools Cup on Saturday morning via their mobile. Turns out there was a bug. It was only working on desktop and on the app. No, so it's working on my phone. Oh, sorry, I might have you been happy. Yeah. yeah, you see. So, uh, yeah, it will be fixed. Well, it has already been fixed, so it'll be all right for the quarterfinals. Where are you going? Which quarterfinals? I think it'll be at Methody. Really? 
they play Sullivan, but there's strategy in it because Armand and Metheny are the only two schools pitches that I know of that have cover for to protect the laptop for rains. So there we go. Hang on, I might go to Walls. You could let it from there for me. You won't, but <laughs> I won't. But I'll come back. I'll come back with an opinion like two days later. Do you want me to, you want me to go to Palomino then? Since it seems like Just we're organising our coverage here. Well, let's continue this offer. <laughs> That's us for this week. So from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you very much. From Adam McHenry. Cheers, guys. Myself, Gareth Hanna. We're all off to organise Skills Cup coverage. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash NI.